Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. guys, I am Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, this is your go-to for hot liberty, your safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget my social media on Instagram for news about me and the show, photos, clips, you name it, at Monica Crowley underscore, and my Twitter account at Monica Crowley. Also, don't forget you can send me an email about this show, about everything that we're talking about here, stuff that's on your mind, stuff you want me to cover on the show. The email address is Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. So at the end of Monday's show, I put a big question to all of y'all about the music on this show. Because I heard from a loyal listener, Chris, who was like, Monica, love ya, hate the music. And I was like, really? Because when I chose the music, and by the way, you got to go for royalty-free music on podcasts. So we're really restricted. But I chose this music because I'm a happy warrior. And I thought it gave a great kind of fun, happy warrior vibe. But then when I opened it up to you guys to your emails about whether or not you actually liked the music or hated the music. Well, you had a lot to say about the music on this podcast. Later in the program, I'm going to start to read some of your emails about the music and other things, but continue to to give me feedback on the music, all right? Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com because this show is for you. This show is for my country. This show is for a liberty, economic freedom, individual freedom, but this show I do for you so that you know that you are not alone in this very dark time in America and in the West more generally. Evil is absolutely ascendant. Darkness is everywhere. But as I said on the very first show, God wins in the end. 
God always wins in the end. And that's what this show is all about. So this show exists for you. And I want to know your feedback. So Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what's on your mind and give me an opinion about the, the music on this show. My feelings will not be hurt, I promise. I'm going to read some at the end. All right, today I want to deal with Biden and Harris and Obama. Oh my, on the one side, and Ron DeSantis on the other side. Now that is a profile in courage. Damn, is he good. We're going to get into that. Plus, uh, how now that we know that basically none of the COVID policies worked, which is why red states that offered more freedom all along fared so much better than the blue states, we actually now have empirical data to back that up because there's a brand new study out. And it's authored or co-authored by our friend Steve Moore, who studied all 50 states, economics, education, a whole array of reactions and how these states handled COVID. He's going to be here to tell us why freedom works and why the petty little tyrants in the blue states uh, set their states way back on all of these metrics. And as I mentioned, your glorious emails. All that straight ahead. First up, though... The Monica Memo. So we need more leaders with balls. Case in point, we had a federal judge this week appointed by President Trump, a woman, 35 years old. Very, very impressive. She's probably, when we get Trump back in the White House, and if he doesn't run, it'll be President DeSantis, uh, this federal judge is likely to get nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. She clerked for Clarence Thomas. She is incredible. She issued a ruling late Monday that lifted the mask mandate on all public transportation. So with the stroke of a pen from one brave judge, our nation of 330 million people has been liberated. Liberated from the tyranny of the mask, which we have known for a very long time. Those masks do not work. But with the left, it's never about policies that actually work for us. It's only and always about power and control. That's what it's always been about with the Democrat communists. So one judge, brave enough to stand on the law and push back against the tyranny, said no more. And we all cheered And that cheer was as much about being liberated from the stupid masks as it was a signal to Biden and Fauci and the CDC to back the bleep off. So yesterday I flew. Uh, I flew out of New York and I had to go to JFK. And I'm sure many of you have flown through JFK at some point or another. JFK is a nightmare on a good day. I would say about 75 to 80% of people were still masked and on the plane too, with one big exception, the flight attendants. Not one of the flight attendants on my airplane were masked. None of them were. And as I was boarding, there was a very pretty, very sweet flight attendant who lit up when I paid her a big compliment. I said, oh, it's so nice to see your beautiful, smiling face. By the way, you should pay people compliments like that just in the course of your routine day. 
you will see them light up. People are not used to getting compliments, number one, but certainly they're not used to getting compliments from strangers. And I do this all the time. And I tell you, I do it for them. But the reward that I get when I see them just light up, it's extraordinary. And I do it sometimes like on the street in New York City. I'll be like, I'll stop a woman or I'll pass her and I'll go, I'll go, you look really pretty today. And they just, it changes their whole sense of who they are and probably sends them through the rest of their day with a smile. I hope so. And by the way, it costs you nothing to do this. Nothing. A couple of seconds of your brain and your mouth saying the words. Anyway, this sweet flight attendant who was adorable through the whole flight, she lit up when I said, it's so great to see your beautiful face and that great smile. I don't care if you want to wear a mask or you don't want to wear a mask. Just leave it up to individuals to make that decision. No one is stopping you from slapping that mask on your face. Do it if you want. No one cares, except for the mask mafia. They still care. But don't you dare ever take that choice away from me again. And the left is, well, I'm not going to fly on Southwest or Delta because they're removing the masks. Well, you know what? If an airline wants to keep it in place, which none of them do, by the way, they all sent a letter to Biden a couple of weeks ago saying, please, God, God in heaven, please remove this mask mandate. Nobody wants to be the mask police anymore. But if they want to, fine. And then customers can choose to fly with them or not. Let the market work The Biden administration's messaging on this has also been a hot mess. First, they said that they were extending the mandate for two weeks to May 3rd. We all knew that. Then the judge ruled late Monday. So at 1 p.m. yesterday, Jen Psaki says, we advise all Americans to wear masks on planes. One hour later, her boss, Biden, says wearing a mask is up to the individual. Yay, right? Well, not so fast, because one hour after that... His HHS secretary said, we'll likely appeal the ruling striking down the mandate. And then after that, they wheel Biden out to say, yeah, we're probably going to uh, appeal this, this ruling because everybody should be in masks. Clearly, he is not calling the shots. If he were, they would let his initial statement saying it's up to the individual stand. But they didn't because they, they finally got to him and said, hey, dude, we're going we're gonna to ask for an, an appeal on this. So they're all over the place. The president is not calling the shots. The reason they are appealing this is a couplefold. They, of course, hate to lose. Communists hate to lose. And they really hate to lose to a Trump judge. I mean, they cannot countenance that a Trump judge put the end to this petty little mask tyranny. So they all have to go on the record pushing back on this nonsense. And they may also appeal because the the CDC wants the option of being able to reimpose these restrictions in the fall or the winter or whenever they want. It's all arbitrary. But there's a risk here too. If they appeal and lose, the CDC could end up powerless to do this stuff to us again whenever they want. So they're still out there. They're trying to figure it out when the rest of us have figured it out a long time ago. 
power and control, that's it. Later, like I mentioned, we're going to talk to Steve Moore about how the red states who weren't run by petty little tyrants like Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom performed so much better throughout the entire pandemic. Speaking of, uh, the Wall Street Journal this week had a headline, U.S. Pandemic Strategy Shifts to Personal Choice. The first line of the piece pretty much sums it up, quote, in the latest phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, federal and local officials are telling people to decide for themselves how best to protect against the virus. It's called midterm common sense. It's an election year, and the Democrats have seen their numbers circling the drain. They want to avoid a complete wipeout. So now they're all like, well, we're about personal responsibility. Huh? You know what? There were a group of doctors from Harvard, Yale, and Stanford who came together very early on in this pandemic, March of 2020, put out a declaration called the Great Barrington Declaration that said, isolate and protect the most vulnerable, the elderly, uh, the young, the obese, okay? Uh, Let's isolate them and protect them, but everybody else should be free to make their own public health decisions. They were smeared and destroyed. Some of these doctors lost their careers. They're still dealing with the fallout of it. But now, in the third year of this thing, oh, well, we're now all about personal responsibility after they have wrecked so many lives and destroyed so many livelihoods and did the the creep on our freedoms all of which was intentional and deliberate. They want to pretend like the last few years did not happen, that all of their abuses of power did not happen. I don't think so. There has to be a reckoning here for all of the lives destroyed and all of the lies told to seize power and enrich themselves and maintain their grip on power. We are not going to pretend like none of this ever happened. I mean, if you were watching like the Academy Awards or the Grammys and and even Biden yesterday or the day before he was in New Hampshire because he thinks he's running again. We're going to get to that in a second. But he's hugging like little old ladies, no masks, no nothing. It's like, hey, I'm headed off to the Grammy Awards. Woohoo! Like the last couple of years never happened. Wrong. The damage is too extensive, it is too deep, and it's too widespread. They want to move on, and we are not going to let them. There have to be investigations and trials and prison time, starting with that evil little garden gnome, Anthony Fauci. The man is evil. We haven't even scratched the surface of how evil he is, but rest assured, Everything always comes out, always. It may take more time than what we're comfortable with, but it all comes out in the end. My grandma, who I loved so much, my maternal grandma, she used to have a line, she was a tough cookie, and she used to say, every dog has his day, which is a famous saying, but she used to say it all the time when, you know, my sister and I were being done wrong or something bad happened, Every dog has his day. And then she say, you may not live to see it because God works on his own schedule. But trust me, she said, every dog has his day. Anthony Fauci is a dog in this scenario. 
if I can quote when Harry met Sally, am I the dog in this scenario? Yes, Anthony Fauci is the dog in this scenario. It may take time for that dog to have his day, but it's coming. But we all have to do our part and demand it. It's not just going to happen. The regime always protects its own. It protects its own until it eats its own. This is the cycle of regimes like this. This is how communists operate. They eventually turn on each other. The regime eventually consumes itself. And that will happen here. The necessary reckoning will come, but only if we demand it. All right, let's hit a quick break. I've got more on the other side. I want to deal with Biden, Obama, and Harris. Oh, my. That's coming straight up. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, we are cooking with gas today. Uh, Meanwhile, someone in a bunny costume had to stage an intervention with the President of the United States. I'm sure you guys saw the video by now, but at the Easter egg roll at the White House, Biden was wandering around aimlessly, as he is wont to do, talking to some random people about Pakistan and Afghanistan, of all things, when the Easter Bunny came flying across the White House lawn to maneuver him away. The President of the United States is now taking direction from the Easter Bunny. This is where we are now, people. Meet your leaders, America. Yesterday, it was also reported that Biden told Obama that he's going to run for a second term. That Easter Bunny is a more plausible candidate. No word on Obama's reaction, although (laughs) you can only imagine when senile Biden is telling Barack that, oh, dude, I'm doing such a bang-up job that I'm going to run again. 
because the American people are just clamoring for me. I'm it, man. I'm it. I'm the Cardi B of politics. The source said, quote, he thinks Biden, Biden thinks he's the only one who can beat Trump. He doesn't think there's anyone in the Democratic Party who can beat Trump, and that's the biggest factor. Um, First of all, he did not beat Trump the last time around. Secondly, has he not met Michelle? What a dope. Or he's in denial, or both. Biden is blissfully unaware. You know, when people get senile, they get blissfully unaware of, like, basic things. He's blissfully unaware that they are maneuvering behind the scenes to remove him. We have talked about this on this podcast before. There is no way, I mean no way, that Democrats are going to run this decrepit old man who needs assistance from the freaking Easter bunny to walk around the yard. There's no way that they're running him for president again. No way. I doubt, actually, that they would run him again, even if he were popular. But he's down in the low 30s. He's circling the drain. He's a corpse dragging down all other Democrats. So no, they are not going to run him for president again. And I'm sure that Obama humored him as he plots to install his wife in the job. That's nice, Joe. Applesauce or strain peas for dinner, huh? They pat Joe on his ancient head and ignore him. The president of the United States is a non-entity. Say what you want about Donald Trump. He was never a non-entity. Attention must be paid, but not in this case. Meanwhile, the person that they are going to have to walk over to get Michelle in there, Kamala Harris, winged it back to her home state of California for a fundraiser. Listen to this. About one million bucks was raised at a Democratic National Committee fundraiser headlined by Kamala Harris at the Brentwood home of Dana and Matt Walden. About 30 people were at this event, including Ryan Murphy, J.J. Abrams, and Reggie Hudlin. So these are Hollywood heavyweights. Harris said that she was approaching the midterms with, quote, a great sense of optimism because she's delusional, like he is. Uh, She said, quote, we don't have any time to slow down. You don't have any time to doubt ourselves. We've got to get to work. Get to work? What have they been doing? She also said that Democrats will need to emphasize why people need to vote in November, in part by pointing to accomplishments like vaccine distribution, that was Trump, job growth, that was also Trump, the child tax credit, Trump did one of those as well, and the appointment of the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Well, that they actually did. She said elections matter. And so as we go toward this next election, let's remind people that it matters and that we are so well aware of the work that we still have yet to do. More gobbledygook from her. Meanwhile, her husband, Doug Emhoff, uh, was there. He also echoed the, quote, huge sense of optimism and confidence and joy about the upcoming midterms. I mean, they're really stretching it. The second husband says he's full of confidence and joy about November I'm telling you, these people are not dealing with full deck. Quote, we're on the right side of so many issues, and we will continue to be on the right side of so many issues, and I'm not going to stop, he said. I'm going to keep fighting and keep working until we get this job done. 
Well, that's a word salad. Is that where she gets it from? Him? (laughs) Who thought? But here, get this. And this is going to bring us to our next subject here. Get this. The event was hosted by Dana Walden and her husband, producer Matt Walden. Dana Walden is with Walt Disney Television. So the Disney Corporation is really bending over backwards for the Democrats and the woke left. Tickets for the supporter level for this thing where they just, I guess they fed them the word salad. Uh, $50,000 to $100,000 to attend this word salad extravaganza. Listen to this, though. For Hollywood, we know that Hollywood's on the left. That's nothing new and not a big surprise. But in this election cycle, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, 89% of all Hollywood donations went to Dems. Only 11% went to Republicans. That's about, that, that trends with the usual thing coming out of Hollywood. Um, but anyway, I guess they sent her back to California to do this event because she's driving them all crazy in the White House. Maybe she showed Hollywood how to play Wordle because that's the only thing that apparently she knows how to do. Now, compare and contrast that with the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. He did two extraordinary things this week. Number one, he pushed back on Disney's woke insanity and their endangerment of children, their support of the sexualization of kids as young as two years old. This is child abuse to the extreme. He announced a a special session of the legislature targeting Disney World and its property in Florida. Florida lawmakers are now going to consider terminating the state's special districts where Disney has the right to govern itself. DeSantis wants to revoke that special right for Disney. Good. Fire with fire, baby. Fire with fire. And in fact, a Florida state rep, Randy Fine, has already filed that legislation yesterday to eliminate a special tax and governing jurisdiction that Disney has long enjoyed. Quote, time to drop the hammer on woke Disney. Amen. Amen. Again, fire with fire. We have to mirror these people. You hold up a mirror. I'm not talking about breaking the law. I'm not talking about doing all the unethical, illegal stuff that they do. All I'm talking about is fighting fire with fire. Because for far too long, we have played defense only. Defense only. Here's Ron DeSantis again. This is the second big thing he announced this week. DeSantis is also threatening to go after Twitter's board of directors for attempting to torpedo Elon Musk's bid to buy Twitter. He said Twitter is violating its fiduciary duty by trying to kill the sale of the company's stock at a premium. Remember, Musk came in and he's asking asking way above where the stock is trading right now. And the Twitter board is denying the shareholders a chance to make a fortune. So DeSantis comes in and says, hold up. That decision by the board to not pursue the Musk deal could potentially injure Florida's pension funds because they hold Twitter stock. He pledged to direct state officials to explore ways to scrutinize the board's Um, actions 
and to hold them accountable for breach of their fiduciary duty. Bam! That's it. I would be surprised if other governors from red states also don't weigh in on this. If their state pension funds are invested in Twitter stock, they should all be doing what DeSantis says he's going to do. Hold them accountable for breach of fiduciary duty and for injuring their state pension funds, which in the end would uh, damage the elderly and others who are dependent on, on pension payments. Fellow Republicans, take note of this. I have been talking about this on this podcast for a while. Ron DeSantis is the only Republican who seems to have learned from Donald Trump, which is you've got to fight fire with fire and throw sharp elbows because that's what they do. DeSantis seems to be the only one who took Trump up on his offer of here's how it's done. Here's how you push back. Here's how you win battles. Here's how you win elections. DeSantis seems to be the only one. We've got, we've got some good senators. We've got some very good governors. But DeSantis is really the only one who seems totally on offense all the time. Not on defense. Not worried about what people are going to say. You heard Kevin McCarthy the other day where he said, well, we're not going to impeach Joe Biden for political purposes. Impeachment is a political process. It is not a legal process. It's a constitutional process, and it is a political one. And McCarthy and the rest of the Republican leadership still scared of their own shadows. But not DeSantis. He mirrors the left. Bam, bam, bam. No let up. He just keeps hitting them. This is how it's done. Strength, relentlessness, fighting back, but being smart and clever about it and being unafraid. This is modern Republican leadership. Other Republicans, if you don't take this path of DeSantis and to, to a great extent Trump, you're going to lose. You're going to pay the price. Why? Because the rest of us are on to you. And we are demanding this kind of offensive behavior from our leaders. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Steve Moore about these Republican governors and everything that they did right, including Ron DeSantis, because red states are far outstripping blue states on economics, education, and a whole range of things because they handled the last two years with freedom rather than with lockdowns and tyranny. So it's fascinating. That is coming up, plus your emails about the music on this show. I'm Monica Crowley. Sit tight. Well, now I want to turn our attention to uh, the national COVID response. We had a federal response, but then we had individual states doing their own thing. And what's fascinating is that states like Florida did one thing and states like California did something else entirely. Here to help us break it all down is my good friend, Steve Moore. Steve, of course, is the founder, co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, 
which just published a new study comparing COVID outcomes among all 50 states. And it's fascinating and important, which is why I wanted to have him on. Hi, Steve. Hi, Monica. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Great to have you here. Okay, before we get into the study, um, we just got this monster inflation number for March. Consumer prices are running at a 40-year high, climbing 8.5%. What is going on out there? When Trump left office the month of January 2021, the inflation rate was one about 1.5%, 1.5% or so. And isn't it amazing, Monica, that a president could do so much damage in 14 months? I mean, I wouldn't have thought it was possible to go from 1.5% inflation to 8.5% inflation and getting worse, by the way. And so this is a result of a radical shift of policy from Trump, which was basically America first policy on energy, on uh, uh, all sorts of policies with respect to re- reducing taxes and regulations, which increased output and reduced prices. Um, this was not a natural disaster. It was not a result of Putin. It was not a result of the supply chain issues, although that's contributed. This is this is the Biden inflation. This was the policies. And incidentally, when I hear Joe Biden um, say he's doing everything he can to reduce gas prices, that's just a an outright lie. This administration wants high gas prices. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth, Monica. They they hate fossil fuels. They don't want anybody to use them. Well, what better way to get people to stop using something than to keep raising its price? So um, this is on his shoulders. The American people recognize that. And we saw how inflation wrecked Jimmy Carter's presidency. I think the same may be in order with respect to Biden. You know, and actually, Steve, if we were to use the inflation gauge that we used in the 1970s and 80s, inflation would really be about 19.5%. I mean, that is staggering what's going on. Right. So we've made some adjustments to the inflation measures, most of which I I think are, you know, are wise. For example, if the price of eggs goes up, people buy fewer eggs and they buy more uh, other things. So there's a what's what's called a substitution effect. And, and we've always argued that that should be done. But your point is well taken that, uh, you know, back then, um, the inflation rate, if we'd used the procedure we use today, wouldn't have been as high as it is. But but look, people, the thing about this issue, Monica, is we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to spin it. The left tries to spin it. It, it, it speaks for itself. People see it at the cash register, the, at the grocery store. They see it at the gas pump. They know that their paychecks are shrinking and people are angry about it. And Biden has been kind of cavalier. They don't have a strategy. The most important thing we could do right now, in my opinion, Monica, to reduce inflation is to radically, to dramatically cut government spending um, by hundreds of billions of dollars. And and uh, I don't think that's anything where Biden wants. He wants he wants build back better, which would be another five trillion dollars. Yeah, I mean, they're going out there, the Democrats are, and they're trying to argue, well, another $3 trillion of spending will reduce inflation. I mean, it's just patently absurd. It's gaslighting in an epic way. And the American people don't buy it. You look at poll after poll, and they say, who do you blame for this out-of-control inflation? They're running around saying it's Putin, it's this, it's that. No, the American people are directly blaming Joe Biden and the Democrats in Congress for spending us into this inflation crisis. Well, let me make one other quick point about this, because it's a, it's another fabrication of the White House. They keep talking about, you know, um, 
this is a global issue. It's it's uh, it's Putin. And one of the things that Trump did, one of his highest priorities, Monica, you know, you were there. I was there. We I talked to the president many times about this in the Oval Office. You did, too. It was always about making America energy dominant country in the world yes. by using our oil, our gas, our coal, our wind, our solar, our nuclear power. He wanted America to dominate energy. And thanks to the shale revolution, we had become a major, major dominant force in energy under Donald Trump. And so my point is, he empowered uh, Putin. You know, when he complains about all this power that Putin has, Putin was 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 um, basically impotent, you know, when Trump was president because he didn't have the power of the markets that we've handed to him. So when we reduce our oil and gas production, all we're doing is making Putin and China stronger. I, I've always said the two biggest winners of the Biden presidency have been China and Russia. Yes, and a hundred percent. And this administration continues to empower and enrich them through their policies. So we're basically funding Putin's war machine. It's insane. Exactly. The other part of the inflationary question uh, for you, Steve, is the Federal Reserve. The Fed now is far too late in beginning to raise interest rates and bring down their monthly asset purchases, which were running a hundred and twenty billion dollars a month. I mean, it's so much. It is so insane how much money they have pumped down into the system. Now they're at, at least a year too late on this, aren't they? Yeah, you know, you may recall, Monica, that President Trump had nominated me to be on the Federal Reserve Board, and I didn't make it through that process. But I'll tell you one thing, if I were on the Federal Reserve Board, I'd be raising holy hell, because for 11 months, they, they're way, way, way behind the curve, and they have uh, enabled this inflation to happen. Now, a lot of it is due to the spending, but then basically what was happening, so people understand, is Biden was spending these trillions of dollars we didn't have, and then the government, uh, the Federal Reserve under uh, uh, under um, the leadership of Jerome Powell started buying up the bonds, and that only f fed to the inflation. Mm -hmm. And so um, I hope the Fed gets more aggressive I saw many, uh, several of the Fed governors saying, oh, we think we finally, you know, uh, peaked on inflation. They've been saying that for six months and they've been wrong, wrong, wrong. I don't trust them. Yeah. Where do you stand on the risk of a recession? Well, I don't think a recession is inevitable. I think if we get, as, my, as our mutual friend Larry Kudlow says, the cavalry is coming. I think he's absolutely right. I think that 2022 will be a monster year for Republicans, or more appropriately, a, ma a monster repudiation by voters of what the Democrats have done to our country. And that, you know, you can have a turnaround. I remember, you know, back after two years of, of uh, Bill Clinton, when Republicans took over Congress, and it, it really did shift the political process in a more, you know, centrist pro-growth way. Um, so I, I don't buy the story that this recession is baked in the cake. But I'll tell you this, if we keep on the course we're on, the, the economy will crash land. And I don't want to see that, Monica. I remember 1982, I think you do too, when it was, it was one of the worst recessions we ever had. 
as a result of popping this inflation bubble that had gotten so huge under Jimmy Carter. Yes, and interest rates were running at like 18%. People don't have any recollection <laughs> of yeah. uh, people don't have any recollection of how bad and painful it is to dislodge this kind of entrenched inflation. Exactly. Yeah, That's and right. and the White House not prepared Capitol Hill, the American people, nobody's prepared for what's coming. All right, we're talking to Steve Moore of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and they just released an important new study uh, that's been reported in the Wall Street Journal, New York Post, and and elsewhere about uh, how all 50 states dealt with uh, COVID and how they responded to it. And in the study, Steve, you guys measured outcomes based on the number of deaths, the economy, and the effect on education. Tell us what you found. Well, this, I do think this is a really important study because um, we've, I pray, I pray that our, our political leaders have learned the lesson of the last two years. You know, we were at the beginning of this process, you were working with Donald Trump at the time, you know, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with, with respect to this killer virus. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, you know, every, Trump made mistakes. Uh, he made a lot of great decisions, but we didn't, you know, we kind of learned through the process. And one of the things Trump did that I thought was spectacularly successful in addition to obviously Operation Warp Speed, which saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives, was he, uh, he basically said, we're going to let the states decide how to um, combat this virus and use their own strategies, which was a fantastic decision. This is what our founder fathers envisioned, that the states would be laboratories of democracy, that states could learn from each other. They could see what works and what doesn't work. And so um, we did have uh, incredibly um, divergent kind of policies that came out. So you had states like Florida and Texas and Utah and you know many of the Midwestern states like Iowa and Nebraska that really never really shut down their economies. They they basically you know told people to stay safe. They told people to wear masks and social distance, but they didn't shut down their schools. They didn't shut down their restaurants and businesses, um, and and basically allowed people to act in a responsible way. And then on the other side of the equation, you had what happened in states like New York and New Jersey and Florida, my home state of Illinois. I mean, I said Florida, I meant California. And then my home state of Illinois. And they used the, you know, pretty severe lockdown strategy, lock down your businesses, shut down your restaurants, shut down the churches and parks and the, and the stores. And so now we're kind of looking after two years now, we can see kind of what worked and what didn't. And that's what our study did. And, and we found that the lockdown, to, to make this very concise, to two gigantic mistakes were made. The, the, the worst mistake by far was shutting down schools, Monica. That was, uh, mm-hmm. the, it was just a national episode of, of, of child abuse, what happened. And we did so much damage to our children. And there were virtually zero health benefits to keeping kids out of school, almost none, very close to zero. So let's never do that again. <laughs> I mean, we, all, we knew pretty much from the start that children were not vulnerable to this disease. The older you got, you know, or if you had other health problems, you were, you were vulnerable. And then we also found that lockdowns really didn't work very well. Mm-hmm. They had a very small positive effect in reducing deaths, very small. We, we came up with numbers similar to Johns Hopkins, about 0.1% reduction in deaths. Uh, but they did severe damage to their state economies. I mean, they caused millions of business bankruptcies. They caused tens of millions of people to lose their jobs. 
They we had to spend four or five trillion dollars to keep the economy functioning because of what we did. And yet the evidence shows, I mean, my favorite, favorite example is Florida and California, two tourist states, two of our three largest states in the country. Um, and what you find is that um, they used, you know, Ron DeSantis and Florida pretty much kept things open, whereas in uh, you in uh, um, California, you had uh, the governor there who basically just Gavin Newsom shut everything down. And so now we look back two years later. And the amazing thing is that the death rate of California and Florida, when you make the various adjustments for age and so on, were pretty much the same. Florida, California had a slightly lower death rate than Florida did. But my God, the damage that California did to their economy was severe. So lockdowns are not an appropriate way or an effective way to deal with a virus like this. You know, I said on this podcast last week, Steve, that when the virus began circulating in Wuhan, the Chinese began shutting down cities of 20, 30, 40 million people. And as the virus started to move around the globe, we in the West took a look at what was going on in China and we said, oh, since the virus originated there, the Chinese must know something about this that we don't. And therefore, we took our cues from China and we started locking down too. Um, and and yeah. at, But what we do know now, as you point out, is that they don't work. What was the worst... Wait, wait, per- let me make a point yeah, about, go ahead. Let me, let me make a quick point about China. You know, China had those incredibly severe militaristic lockdowns where they literally wouldn't let people out of their homes. And yet... Here again, um, what you're fi- guess what China has right now? Another outbreak of COVID. So there isn't, China's actually an example of how lockdowns don't work because, you know, at some point, everybody's going to be exposed to this virus, Monica. I mean, there's just no way to avoid that. We're now on our fourth strain. Um, I got COVID about two or three weeks ago. Um, at some point, either people are going to be mean to it or they're going to get it. But my point is that um, these lockdowns, don't work, and yet you still have so many countries um, ad- adopting lockdowns. And now we have some of our states go- repeating the cycle again. And it's, I would feel like my pulling my hair out of my head because these strategies do not work. Right, the, the, but it's yeah, not so about that. Should, what, what, yeah, what we should have done. This is the key point, Monica. And Trump was good on this. What we should have done was what Scott Atlas, who was the medical expert at the White House, had been saying for many, many, many months, protect the vulnerable. We knew that from, from what was happening in Europe, remember, because in, in, um, in um, Italy, they got hit hard before we did, and we saw old people were dying. So it was pretty clear that this was a, this was a, 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 a disease that was affecting older people. We should have protected our seniors and we should have protected people with health problems like, you know, with with heart or or, you know, lung problems or with diabetes. Those were the people we knew were really vulnerable to this. And we should have prote- protected those vulnerable people. But the other 80 percent of us could have pretty much got on to our lives as normal. And I hope that's what we will do in the future. Yeah. And, you know, the doctors from Stanford, Harvard and Yale who came out early with that exact strategy, the Great Barrington Declaration, they got suspended off of social media. They got smeared and destroyed because none of this is about policies that actually work. It's all about power and control. And that's it. Tell us, Steve, before we let you go, what was the worst performing state and what was the best performing (laughs) state? 
I kind of buried the lead there. So you're right. So the states that, that performed the best were Utah, South Dakota, Nebraska, Vermont, and Florida. And Florida was one of the top performers. Mm-hmm. The states that were the worst, uh, I hate to tell you this, Monica, but it's New York, yep. New Jersey, Illinois, New Mexico, and California. Gee, what do those states all have in common? Oh, yeah, they have liberal leadership. And, and you know, I've gotten to the point where I think liberals almost like lockdowns. They, they, they like do. that government control. Yes. They, they like wearing masks. I, I see still people, you know, like having their kids wearing masks in a soccer game. I mean, it's it's the absurdity of, of some of the responses have been just um, really quite, quite outrageous. And I'm nervous because we published this study. We want people to know what, what have we learned. And yet there's still been huge amounts of pushback from the left because they don't want to acknowledge that, that people like Ron DeSantis uh, and Kim Reynolds got it right. And that, uh, you know, people like, remember, by the way, when Cuomo had those press conferences in the media, oh, my gosh, he's so smart. He should be president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Trump. And he got everything wrong. Yeah. Monica. Yeah. Like New York had the highest death rate of any state. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then don't get us started on the nursing home <laughs> catastrophe. You know, you're oh, exactly yeah. right. In Philadelphia, Steve, they've reinstituted the indoor mask mandate. The Biden administration just extended the mask mandate for public transport. Mm-hmm. And the administration yeah. is also going back to court to uphold the vax mandate for federal employees. So Terrible. they're still going with this tyrannical nonsense. None of it yeah. works, but it doesn't doesn't matter to them because it's it's only about power and control. All right, where can we find this study and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity? Yeah, just go to the committee. It's the website is Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And the study was also published at the very prestigious National Bureau of Economic Research. My co-author, Casey Mulligan, who you worked with in the White House, is one of the top labor uh, economists in the country. So um, take a look, folks, and see how your how your state rates. Yes, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Go check out their website and see where the study is and where your state ranks. My great friend, Steve Moore, thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Okay, you bet. You too. More right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's hit your emails straight away. And again, if you want your voice to be heard on the show, you want to let me know what's on your mind, what you're thinking, and more, email me at monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com, monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at monicacrowley underscore and on Twitter at Monica Crowley. All right, on Monday, I read you an email from Chris who said he loved the podcast, uh, but he didn't really enjoy the music. He thought the music was off and not right for our happy warrior spirit on this show. So I opened up uh, the email to you guys, and I wanted to know what you thought about the music, and I want those emails to continue coming in, all right? So let's read a few of them now. Here's Patrick. Hi, Monica. This was the first time listening to your podcast, and I enjoyed it very much. Good luck with it. Well, thank you, Patrick. Very nice. You asked for an opinion on the music, on the introduction to your podcast, and to me, it doesn't seem to fit. It sounds a little bit too homey. Well, thank you, Patrick. Um, I appreciate that, homey. Uh, I think we want more of a fighting spirit in music, right? Joseph writes, music is fine, 
I don't listen for music. I listen for you. Music doesn't matter. Ah, Joseph's so sweet. Thank you. Uh, Let's see. Nevada writes, Monica, love your new podcast. It's one I listen to daily on my way back from work in LA traffic. You're gorgeous, by the way. Thought you should know. (laughs) Well, thank you, Nevada. But anyway, back to the matter at hand. Chris is so right. I've been thinking the same things since I started to listen to your podcast a couple of weeks back when you started. That music is dreadful. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it reminds me of like some crappy video we would watch in middle school or something. Ha ha. You got to get something else. Love the podcast. All right, Nevada, thank you very much. No, uh, no dicing of the words there. Let's see. Cookie writes, hi, Monica. Heard you on Steve Bannon's War Room and was so pleased to hear you were starting your own podcast. I always felt you were a little constrained on Fox, so I'm glad to hear the real you. We need more like you. Well, thank you, Cookie. As for the music, yes, you do need something more young and hip, Can't wait for you to do five days a week. Well, Cookie, thank you. Apparently, I need to straighten out the music before we can (laughs) expand the show. Uh, John writes, Hi, Monica. I'm a huge fan enjoying every episode. In addition to following conservative politics, I also compose royalty-free music. Here are a few examples of what you might want to consider. Each song is very inexpensive, completely royalty-free and some are offered in various time lengths. You may want an edgy show opener and then a different genre for intro, outro for commercial breaks. Thank you, and God bless America. John, you are a king. I so appreciate this. John sent a bunch of different links for royalty-free music. John, I'm going to check it out along with Beowulf, my producer, and we will let you know. Okay, let's see. Bruce says, hey, Monica, my vote is yes on changing the music. For one thing, it just doesn't fit you. And secondly, it's a little on the cheesy side. I recommend you do it soon. As your listenership grows, they will associate the new tunes to you. Well, Bruce, thank you very much. We are on it. Beowulf and I are on it. We're going to figure out better music But I still want to hear from you. So shoot me an email, monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com. All right, happy hump day. Have a great rest of your week. I am going to be on Jesse Waters' show tonight on Fox News and tomorrow night on Sean Hannity on Fox News. So I will see you on TV. And then I will see you back here on Friday for a big show with none other than the great Dave Rubin. I'm Monica Crowley. Have a great week. 